And this reading can be found on page 833 of the Pew Bibles, if you'd care to follow the reading with me. So I shall read the word and then invite Jonathan to come up and to preach for us. Rules for Christian households. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Try again. Okay, good morning. Let's uh, <clears throat> begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy words, and we thank you that you have not just given us your holy word, but you have resourced us with your Holy Spirit to help us understand your words. And we pray that your Holy Spirit now would uh, inspire us, open our ears, our minds, our hearts to you and what you might say to us today through your words. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, so you might want to keep the Bible open if you've got it there, the Blue Bibles, page 833, as we uh, look at this small little passage Lisa has read uh, for us this morning. So did you notice when Lisa read the reading that she said the S words? Did you notice that, the S words? Um, in fact, actually, there were two S words that, made, that might have made your ears prick up as you heard that reading. The two words were, not that S word, but slavery and submission. I wonder what came to mind as you heard those words. Do they have positive connotations or negative ones? 
Slavery, let's think about that, may have brought to mind the, the image of the slave trade and the, the ships crossing the Atlantic. The slavery that was abolished thanks to the work of William Wilberforce and others. Or perhaps the word slavery may have brought to mind um, things that we hear of in the news of modern slavery, where people are trafficked, exploited, and even abused. How about that other S word, submission? What did that bring to mind? Possibly for some it may have brought to mind the oppression of women, where women are mastered by men and reduced to doing their bidding. Or even brought to mind the abuse of women at the hands of men. When we hear these words from Scripture, verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Or in verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. When you hear these things, I guess it's more likely it might bring to mind negative connotations, possibly even repulsive ones. Which all begs the question... (laughs) What on earth do we do with a passage like this? You know, when we put together this Christ Our Life series going through Colossians, we could have thought, well, we'll just skip that one. Or you may be thinking, having heard that read, can you just skip on a week and give us the sermon for next week and then we'll finish Colossians? Well, I think when it comes to a passage like this and other similar passages in the Bible which are difficult, it kind of there's, there can be two extreme responses. So one response is to ignore it entirely. We recognise, you know, the context it was written in. That was for for way back then. Different time, different place, doesn't apply to us today. So let's just skip over it. In fact, Jonathan, give us a sermon for next week instead. That's one response. Ignore it entirely. Another response at the other extreme is to apply it literally and say, well, it's God's word, we've got to take it word for word and apply it directly. But with a reading like this, we're soon going to find that's somewhat difficult to do. I think it's less likely for us here we're going to apply it literally. I think it's probably more likely we'd be tempted to ignore it entirely. You know, at first reading, it is a scripture which is quite easy to dismiss that and say, well, that's just not relevant for us today. But if we take the whole of Scripture to be God's authoritative words through which the Holy Spirit speaks to us, if we take it to be the inspired word of God, can we daisy-pick the Scriptures, choose the ones we like, and then disregard the ones which seem, at first glance, a bit more challenging or difficult? I think the middle ground is to hold both of these two things together. To recognise, yes, we take it to be God's authoritative word through which God can speak to us even today. But then we also recognise the cultural context in which it was written and know that we've got to do some work before we can faithfully apply it. Now, my favourite analogy when I think about God's word, I love God's word, I love the scriptures, and my favourite analogy is, I think it's my own, I'm going to claim it as my own anyway, it's just of of digging, I always see scriptures like digging down into the ground, or or mining even, and um, 
some scriptures, you can just read it, and just reading it first time, you just think, wow. You know, you read it, a verse just jumps off the page, and God's just, you feel God's really just speaking to you, to you through that verse. And those kind of scriptures, I call them like this, this topsoil treasures. So you don't need to dig very far to unearth the treasures. You can just get a trowel and just sort of, you know, skim the surface and there's treasure coming up. Take, for example, something like the, the parable of the prodigal son, well-known story of Jesus. You know, you read that and just, you know, you don't have to dig down too deep to, to, to get something of what it is about God's love, God's welcome, and you think, wow. But there are other passages, passages like this portion from Colossians today, where you may read it a few times and you think, oh, I'm not sure whether there's much treasure on the, on the topsoil, and we need to dig down a bit deeper. I think a passage like this, we need a pneumatic drill, okay, to really dig down and to dig down deep to unearth God's treasure. And just as a side, that's not to say with familiar passages like the prodigal son, there's not even treasure deeper down as we go deeper into the word. So I hope that this morning you will um, join me in popping your hard hat on and as we switch on the pneumatic drill and dig a little bit deeper into this reading from Colossians. Now, when you come to a difficult passage in the Bible, there is actually a fair amount that you can find out for yourselves without having to turn to a Bible commentary, just by thinking about where is the passage located in the story so far that we've heard, um, where's it located in the whole of Scripture, the story of Scripture, and also how's the passage just kind of structured. And this passage is actually quite neatly structured, um, so that gives us a kind of starter for ten. So as we've seen over, the, over recent weeks, as we've been journeying through Colossians, a lot of the first couple of chapters we're all focusing on about the church in Colossae being in Christ, being rooted and established in Christ, not moving away from a life where Christ is at the centre and that there was some possibly false teaching around the church um, or the pressure from the um, prevailing society and culture to steer people away from Christ or to say you need Christ plus this or whatever. Last week, uh, when Steve was preaching, it was, it was talking more about um, how the church is to, to live together, um, instructions for the church in applying this teaching of being in Christ. But here in this passage, you'll, you'll have noticed that it now homes in on, well, the home. It moves into the relationships within the household. And the passage is structured into three pairs. We've got wives and husbands, verses 18 and 19, then in 20 to 21, children and fathers. And then in the remaining verses, slaves and masters. And you may have spotted um, that in each of these three relationships, there's a power dynamic. One person or group of persons has power over the other or is in a position of power. So actually, you can notice a fair few things just by just having a little read through the passage. But then to dig a bit deeper, that's when... I certainly need the help of a, of a good Bible commentary to understand it a bit better. It's important to be aware that when we read a passage like this, we are, we are wearing glasses when we read it. We're wearing 21st century Western culture spectacles. So that is the lens in which we see this passage. So we might read these instructions from Paul and think, Oh, this seems a bit, you know, a bit strong, Paul. You know, these are quite strict instructions for Christian living. But actually, 
when we dig down a bit deeper and understand the cultural context, we begin to see actually it's a little bit different to how it first appears. So as I said, all these three groups were, were found in the household in first century Colossae. And the household would um, perhaps, yeah, it would include more of an extended family, something we probably see in other cultures a bit more than in, in our culture here, where the extended family would include perhaps elderly parents living in the home who are widowed. Um, if there's children who are grown up but are not married, they'd still be in the home. And there'd be perhaps two or three slaves. So it's not just you know, two parents and two children, or 2.4 children, whatever it used to be. You know, it's a bit more of an extended family in the household. And in that culture, instructions to those in the home were known as house codes, house codes. And they were a form of teaching, um, not just in Christianity, but in a number of different religions and philosophies. So whilst this may seem a bit outdated to us, you know, who are you, Paul, to give us all these instructions about how to live in the home? Actually, in that culture, it was kind of, that was what was done. It was done in other teachings and philosophies. So there were different teachings about how the home should work, how these relationships in the home should work. Of course, in that culture, in that context, it was a patriarchal culture. And Paul, interestingly, doesn't challenge that like we might today. He works within the culture of the day. But what he does is he presents a radically different way of relations within the home. He presents the Christian way, or the in-Christ way. In, in that culture, across the, the different beliefs, um, you know, wives were seen as, as chattels. Children were, were not important. You know, their fathers had the power of life and death over them. Slaves were not even regarded as a person. They were non-persons in that culture. They were the property of their owner. So actually, when we see in the scriptures, there's instructions for husbands to love their wives and not to embitter their children. There's instructions for masters to treat their slaves fairly was actually going against the grain of what was the cultural norm. And those outside of the Christian community, if they read this or heard these instructions, would have, some might have even laughed. Treat your slave fairly? Why on earth would you do that? You don't need to do that. They're not a person, they're just your property. <coughs> so you see, actually, it's presenting something that was countercultural in its day. There was actually greater equality in Paul's house codes than the rest of society and in Colossae. So what it meant was that the Christian households would actually be different. They would be distinctive to the other homes in the communities they were part of. So the underlying question Paul's really getting at to the, the church in Colossae is this important and challenging question Will the life of a Christian household be markedly different from life in the neighbouring households in how those different persons treat one another? So Paul's house codes were about being a witness for Christ, a way they were a witness 
was that the, the power dynamics in, the, in those different relationships were, were not completely changed, but were being transformed from what was the norm. Short to us, reading a passage like this through our own cultural lens, it can look like an unhealthy power dynamic. Yet in that context, it was actually presenting something refreshingly different. Sure, Paul wasn't revolutionizing the, the power dynamic. He wasn't you know, going against the patriarchal culture of the day. But he was saying that actually, fathers, husbands, masters, I've got some instructions for you too. It's not just the wives, it's not just the children, it's not just the slaves who have to do something in the household, but those who have the power. He transforms this power dynamic in a few ways. In a few ways. Wives, children and slaves in the passage are addressed as real people, not as property or objects to be manipulated. Secondly, he, he shows in the passage that everyone has an obligation to the other. As I said, it's not just the, the weaker persons in the dynamic who have a duty to obey. And as I said, treating slaves fairly would have been seen as a ridiculous requirement in a Greco-Roman world. Thirdly, they're instructed to do everything in the Lord's. In other words, Christ is the reference point for their relationships. Therefore, their, their actions aren't one of compulsion, but one of freedom. They're choosing to obey or submit out of loyalty to Jesus. As one commentator puts it, the done thing of that day is now transformed into done for the Lord in that place. So hopefully begin to see that with the help of a good commentary and as we start to mine down a bit into the cultural context we actually begin to see the passage in a, seem a seemingly difficult passage in a new light and from a different perspective. And the deeper we dig into the cultural context the more we'll be able to, to mine and start to unearth those treasures deep within. However, someone once said that the Bible is not there to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Not there to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And that's only if we can grasp the treasure in Scripture and carefully and faithfully apply it to our lives, to our context. And of course, with a passage like this, we cannot apply it directly. You know, wives are not a weaker partner, emotionally, morally, intellectually in our cultural context. Children are not property of their parents. And slavery is, is not a thing of the first century in the way, of this century, sorry, in the way it was in the first century. But as an aside, you know, we, we pray and uh, join in with those who campaign against the, the ending of any form of slavery as it sadly still exists today. So the relationships with the home in 21st century uh, Tamworth are different to 1st century Colossae. But what we can do is we can ask, what are the key principles? Um, what's at the heart of Paul's teaching that we can then faithfully apply to us today? 
And I've kind of got just two, two sort of principles I've drawn out from this passage I want to leave you with. The first is this. It's about being a witnessing home. It's about being a witnessing home. And secondly, it's about being a worshipping home. A witnessing home and a worshipping home. So like in Colossae, the, the Christian home was meant to be distinctive, different to the culture they were part of. So how we treat a spouse or a partner, children or parents, it should be different. It should be distinctive. And it should be attractive to others. You know, in a household within the culture, there'll be similarities but there will be differences too. So, for example, you know, someone might say, um, you know, our neighbours, the Joneses, well, they're like us in many ways. They dress like us, shop at the same store as us, the kids go to the same school as us. But you know what? They're different too. Just, I wonder what they've got that we haven't. It's about being a witness in the culture we're part of. It's not saying, right, we're a Christian household, we've got to go and live in the remotest part, away from any, anyone in a holy bubble. But it's about being in the culture, but being distinctively Christian in the culture. In the, the commentary where I found um, most helpful as I was preparing this sermon by David Day, who, uh, his, his commentary is called Christ Our Life, it's very accessible. Um, he had this challenging quote. The most convincing evangelistic sermon your neighbour hears might just be the quality of your family life. Wow, that is challenging. The most convincing sermon your neighbours hear might just be the quality of your family life. So a witnessing home. A witnessing home. But a witnessing home can only be one if it is a worshipping home if it's a home where the Lord is revered, where he is the master of the house, where he is the Lord, not just of the church, but he is Lord of the home. And you'll see in that reading that there are references to the Lord. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then later on, slaves, obey your earthly masters but do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So these relationships within the household are outworked in relation to the Lord. And additionally, everyone has a part to play. Did you note it said, Masters, remember, you have a master as well in heaven. So it means that how we relate to our nearest and dearest in the household should be inspired and informed by our relationship with the Lord. It's not like we have this wonderful relationship with the Lord when we gather together in worship, which we do, and then we we go home and then we just live lives where the Lord's not part of those relationships or not informing those relationships, rather they're to be worked out in reference to our relationship with him. Our vision is for going deeper, which we're going to be really moving forward with as we go into 2020. And um, of the sort of three areas 
deeper with God being one of the areas. Within that, we've identified two key priorities. And one of those is deeper discipleship. Deeper discipleship, that faith, that following Jesus, is not just you know, contained to when we gather together, but it's in every aspect of our lives. We're followers of Jesus, not just when we're here, but when we are home. So a question for us to consider, how do I show reverence to Christ in how I act towards, and I know not all of these will apply to everyone, but towards my parents, maybe elderly parents, my children, maybe grown-up children are living away from the home, to my spouse or partner. And it works both ways, remember. Remember in the passage, both are given instructions. Works both ways. So we can't say, well, it's all, it's all got to be down to the other person. No, we've got to focus on our part and how we're to invest in those relationships and invest in a way that reflects our love of the Lord. Finally, slaves and masters. That one doesn't translate into our homes. But maybe we could faithfully apply it to the employer and employee dynamic in the workplace, if that applies to you. How do I honour the Lord in how I treat those in my team, those I manage? How do I honour Jesus in my relationship with my boss or manager? So I hope you've seen as we dig down into these, or dig down a little bit further into this scripture, that actually as we start to understand something of the cultural context, we see actually it's refreshingly different. Sure, we can't just translate it word for word into our context, but hopefully we can start to draw out those key principles that even today, in 21st century Tamworth, we are called as Christians to be followers of Jesus 24-7, to be those Christian households that are a worshipping and a witnessing household. So just to finish, I want to just finish with a, a prayer, but just to give a bit of space for the Holy Spirit to perhaps bring to mind, to identify those key relationships in your life. And maybe that the Lord just wants to speak further into those to you. Um, possibly an encouragement or a challenge to invest. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the richness and diversity of your word. As we think about what it means to live in this world as being ones who are in Christ, we pray that you would guide us and help us in our relationships with our nearest and dearest. And so come Holy Spirit and just minister to us now if you have for us a word of encouragement, a word of challenge. Or if, Lord, you are prompting us to do something, to play our part again, in one of those relationships. Come Holy Spirit. We just wait on the Lord's in the stillness. Give space for his voice.
Lord, when we're confronted by your ways and your holiness, we recognize our, our weaknesses, our imperfections. And Lord, we look to you and turn to you for help, for grace to live out these precious relationships in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that declares you, Lord, our master of the house. So, Lord, help us, we pray, by your spirit, that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.